catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cavs the Blog Podcast. I'm Tom Pestak. I'm joined by Mallory Factor and David Wood. Guys, how you doing on this Sunday evening? Did your uh, did your NFL teams um, are they still standing? David's NFL team did. Yeah, I guess I'm down in the south. So are you uh, all day. are you a Cam Newton guy? Uh, I like him because everyone gets so upset about how much he celebrates, which I think is pretty funny. I miss. More- I miss. You know all the uh, the heyday of NFL celebrations, like all those crazy wide receivers at once. You had Ochocinco and To uh, and Joe Horn. Remember when he he pulled the the uh, sharpie out of his sock? And then the oh, NFL, yeah. and then the NFL banned that. I, I mean, I don't know who the guy was, but someone did CPR on the ball. That was my all time favorite. <laughs> I, I, think I feel like that. that was someone with Dallas, wasn't it? I don't know who did that. Um, it might have been Chad Johnson, actually. CPR in football. Who do we got? <laughs> oh, I don't... that's this is actually all players being given CPR on the field. Okay. Yeah. It's not, not a happy topic. But uh, um, more importantly, though, I survived Jonas. I think it was almost thirty inches of snow in New York City, which is a record. Oh, definitely. Def- oh, I didn't see that. Broke the record for the most amount of snow fallen in New York City in like a 24-hour period. From 2006, there were 28.6 inches or something like that. We got more than that in one day. Dang. Sounds like the plot from uh, Max Payne. Do you guys ever play that game? Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, in New York slow-mo. City, and there's a, terrib- basically there's a was, terrible snowstorm. There were no cars allowed on the road. Um, they shut down like a ton of transportation. It was pretty insane. Did you see Vinny, Vinny Gogniti limping through the snow? Who? <laughs> that was one of the bosses, Vinny Gagnini. How do you remember that? <laughs> Dude, 
that was a great game. I played that in high school all the time. It was a great game, but that was a long time ago. I must have been in like the sixth grade when I played that. Yeah, it was like '99. I think I was a freshman in high school when that game came out. Yeah, I probably but, was uh, in the sixth I, grade. I picked um, I picked the Cardinals over the Patriots. So suffice to say, I will not be winning my office pool. Yeah, definitely not. But it's going to be really fun. You know, we get to see sort of like the the new school. NFL quarterback versus the very, very, very old school guy trying to win his second Super Bowl and really cement himself as I, I think if Manning wins, you gotta put him in front of Brady, right? I mean, he has no all way. the records. And and he'll have two Super Bowls with what was almost always substantially worse teams than what Brady was given. Brady was given one of the best coaches in the history of football. <laughs> well, I'll just say this. I I can't stand when people try to try to denigrate either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning, because in my opinion, they're clearly um, the best quarterbacks we've seen. I mean, at least since Steve Young, maybe since Joe Montana. Right. Um, you know, they're 1A and 1B, however you want to rank them. And so the idea that, oh, well, if Peyton doesn't win this one, then he, you know, he just can't. Be, I just hate that talk. It's like, no, these guys are elite. They're a cut above. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the matchup. I think, uh, well, it's not going to be, I looked, I, I enjoyed it today. I'm looking God, that forward. That was a phenomenal football game. It really was. Yeah. <laughs> I really, I really wanted game. it to go to OT. Uh, uh, but why? Oh, I hate Gronk so much. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm pulling for, uh, I'm pulling for Denver, but Me uh, too. Carolina's an exciting team. So I just, uh, hope it's, I just hope it's a good game. I want Panthers. Totally. People are going to go crazy down here. Well, yeah, so I I understand that, you know. (laughs) But that being said, I totally want it to be uh, Denver as well. Yeah, well, uh, Coles is from Colorado, right? So he's probably pulling for Denver. Yeah, I think he is from Colorado. Well, let's talk basketball. Let's talk basketball. So we had our emergency podcast the other day where we discussed the David Blatt firing. Uh, Since that time, you know, at at that time – the Brian Windhorst, Dave McManaman uh, eulogy had come out. It was very long. It was very detailed. Um, pretty informative. I, I don't, you know, like anything else, you always wonder if uh, a sports writer is overemphasizing tidbits of knowledge that they have. I don't. I don't believe they just make stuff up. But sometimes I feel like they put more stock into a quote or into an event than maybe they need to. Um, and so while we were having the podcast, the Wodge hatchet job on LeBron and clutch sports came out about how they pretty much undermined David Blatt from the beginning and how this was all a plan to get, you know, Mark Jackson, who was represented by clutch um, as the new coach of the Cavs and, um, I had the sound down during the game, but I guess during the game, Jeff Van Gundy must have gone on one of his little tirades about, you know, sports writers being just the worst. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm imagining it was in response to that article since he was probably trying to stick up for his boy, Mark Jackson. Did you guys catch any of that? I didn't. I had the volume up as well. He, uh, he just went off about how, sports writers are willing to kind of drag people through the mud for unnamed sources. Yeah. And it's just kind of like a battleground for people to just talk garbage on each other. Right. 
I mean, I, I understand the tension there, right? Because if you were, I mean, I put myself in that situation. I'm, I write about a team, but I don't, I don't ever, you know, go in the locker room. So I don't have to deal with this. I can say whatever I want to say about how I feel about how Kyrie Irving's playing. And he doesn't know who I am. And so he's not going to give me evil looks when I come in there to get a quote from him. Um, and likewise, you know, these guys have all sorts of sources, but you can obviously understand why people wouldn't want to attach their name to something negative, right? And so, well, okay. I, so there's two things that you could mean by that something negative. Do you mean explicitly the idea that like these writers are saying negative things, or that there's a negative quote coming from a player or a source? Well, okay. So, so I guess um, this because, leads, this leads right into uh, Jason Lloyd in his you know, X number of things about last night's game, he he spent a lot of time talking about when he knew that there was a problem and that Blatt might get fired, and it was actually way back around right after the Warriors game. And he explained why he never really wrote it, wrote about it at the time. Um, and in some sense, it's kind of like you roll your eyes a little bit and you go, okay, okay, I get it. You know, you can- yeah, whatever. The hindsight's 50 or 2020. I mean, 50. And Windhorse said the same thing on a podcast where he said, you know, I've known about this for a long time, but he, he actually said he didn't think he had the political cover, which I think, I think what he was just trying to get across was that in the past he's reported on things um, with respect to the Cavs that wasn't necessarily positive, specifically about Kyrie Irving Kyrie and Dion, um, you know, what that locker room was like under Byron Scott and Mike Brown. And if you remember the Cavs, um, you know, lashed out at, at him, um, maybe not specifically him, but it was his reporting that they were lashing out about. Kyrie Irving lashed out about the reports that he didn't want to be in Cleveland anymore, um, which I think Windhorst talked about that. And so I think, I mean, it's they, sort of, we're it's clearly sort of, very wrong as well. Well, it's just sort of like self-preservation. It's like, so if you, and I think that's what Lloyd was saying. He said, you know, if I report these things about how Blatt's probably going to get fired and then he doesn't get fired, well, then everyone hates me because I just, I just cause drama. And as far as the unnamed sources thing, um, you know, it, if you have some sort of inside information about that, why, I mean, why would you, if you're associated with the team in any way, why would you want to be, the guy that then all the players or the coaches or whoever find out is saying those things, you know? So, I mean, I get why there's all this hush hush backroom talk where no one wants to name names and it does call into question the, um, you know, how truthful everything is. But again, that goes back to my original statement, which was, I don't think guys are making this stuff up. Like when, you know, when, when you read that big, long thing from, from Windhorst, or you read all of Blatt's 48 things, or you read Wadge's whole conspiracy theory, you know, I, I don't think they just, they just, let's write a story, you know, let's write some fan fiction. I think a lot of those things are probably true. It's just, you know, how, how much stock do you put into those events, you know? Because they're, well, they're just connecting the dots, right? I mean, I think to, to a certain degree, you're almost like simplifying what's probably a greater problem. So first of all, sports writers in general are obviously just trying to get the first scoop because their entire goal is to generate clicks that then bring money to whatever it is that they're writing for. So, I, I mean, 
in the simplest form, and this is coming from someone who sells ad space for a living, like these guys are basically, I mean, you know, for lack of a better word, all sports writers are, are basically acting in the interest of who they're representing. I mean, I was going to say it in a more crude sense, but that's really the truth. So, you know, when you hear something like Chris Broussard jumping the gun years ago and saying LeBron's going to the Knicks, LeBron's staying in Cleveland, that's only because he wants the traffic to hit and also because it's like a notch on your belt, you know? Yeah, but I, I don't think it's that simple because, I mean, but, I mean it's, if, it's you report, if you report something that puts the players in a negative light, you're going to lose access or they're not going to talk straight to you. Everything's going to be these cliched platitudes. And it's, that, at that point, you're kind of worthless because anytime well, but you... Here, here's the thing. No one called this happening. So, I, I mean, sports writers can say whatever they want. The truth of the matter is not one person guaranteed the plat would be out this year so no that's true so i do ultimately well go ahead sorry well i I mean i guess the larger point i'm trying to make is it sounds like winhorst and lloyd and maybe wadge months ago i mean back like literally the, the day after that portland game could have written super dramatic pieces about how uh yeah but they didn't so it doesn't even matter I know they didn't. I'm just saying they're getting kind of, you know, people are rolling their eyes now and saying, oh, wow, yeah, so now that after the fact, you all knew about this way back. I'm just saying I can see how I can I see I mean, but we could side. all see that there were problems. Like, that Portland game was, honest to God, one of the most depressing and horrible NBA games I've ever seen. Worse than the the Warriors game because Portland isn't a good team and was missing Damian Lillard. Like, right. But I never thought that the players were revolting. Like we've now been told. We heard though in past times, like under Mike Brown and under certain, I mean, I don't know if there's like a specific instance I can think of, but I always remember this concept that like players could sort of like take control of the team in the way that they wanted to. I mean, I don't know. My, My point is it's easy for any sports writer to say that now, especially when writing some article, but the fact of the matter is no one did. So it almost doesn't matter. I think what's sh- more shocking than anything else is the way in which it went about happening. After yeah. a big win, um, you know, it doesn't even matter when it started. I mean, there were problems with David Blatt during the NBA Finals. We heard complaints. So, yeah, I, mean, I, don't well, I think the, the timing of it was that I think the Warriors game really sealed his fate and the organization didn't want to look like they were making a knee-jerk reaction to one game. So they one, waited like five game. days or something. So they waited a couple days. That makes um, sense. I mean, that's that's how I feel like it went down. And, and I think and that's that way probably they, the most accurate. And that way they could talk about it's not about wins and losses, which, you know, that's fine. So, um, you know, so, so David, you know, I think everyone is conflicted in Cleveland about the Blatt firing because on one hand, I think most people think highly of him as a basketball coach, given his reputation before he came to the Cavs, given the fact that he was able to integrate all these new pieces on the fly, given the fact that, um, you know, they were so competitive in the playoffs despite all the injuries. So, but at the same time, I think like Mallory just said, yeah, we've all sensed that something's not right. Um, and and all these reports now that he can never connect with the players, I guess that's the 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 nice version. And the more dramatic version is that they just hated him or whatever. Um, did you do you think that this was inevitable and ripped the bandaid off, or do you feel like Blatt should have 
uh, been given more time, maybe been confronted more by David Griffin that, Hey, you gotta, you gotta start holding these guys accountable. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, do you think this was the right move or they should have uh, let it ride a little bit longer with David Blatt, see if he could start to connect with the players? I think that like the whole issue is the coach doesn't have to connect with the team. They have to connect with LeBron because at the end of the day, LeBron's the one who's throwing dirty looks at players when he's on the court and he's the one that's giving them high fives. And that's who they kind of all look up to. And like, you could kind of see that in different ways throughout the year. Like a lot of times when the second unit was on the floor and LeBron was resting, the offense would kind of flow a little bit better, which I imagine was because they were maybe running something that Blatt like taught them to run. And then once LeBron was back on the floor, it kind of be a little bit more of the pick and roll style or LeBron gets the ball and tries to make something happen. Um, and it just seemed especially time, early in the season, early in the season, that was way more evident than at the end where honestly, I feel like everyone just started doing what LeBron wanted them to do. Yeah. I just think there's this weird, this weird dynamic where the team, like I cannot imagine a player like Matthew Delvadova not listening <laughs> to what David Blatt wanted. Cause or plays, any coach. Yeah. Like there's just some guys on the team where you can't really think of them going against the coach just because of their demeanor, kind of. And especially, like, you know people listen to David Blatt, especially when we got the wins in the finals. Like, they were just playing a game plan perfectly. Yes. And it's, I don't know, it's such a weird position because really, I don't want to, like, kind of, like, crap on LeBron, but it does seem like LeBron just wasn't okay with how David Blatt was doing things, and he didn't want anyone else to be okay with it. Well, yeah, and there's a conflict here because, uh, you know, it's well, there's weird. a lot of conflict. Here. Well, it's like, <laughs> I, and this is a question I asked in the in the emergency pod, which was, does LeBron have it within himself to recognize that he's actually not a basketball coach, and that he's not a GM, and that there are better people suited for those jobs? He's not an analyst. Um, just because he's the best basketball player in the world. You know, doesn't mean he and that's, should. You could contend that at this point, honestly. Sadly. Yeah, but for for the past, I don't know, seven or eight years, he has been the best player. So, you know, does he have it within himself to say, "I'm going to submit to the offensive game plan of the coaching staff"? Because clearly, the Cavs were not running the Princeton offense. I mean, they just well, weren't. <laughs> but I think you're jumping the gun because honestly, it doesn't even matter. You know, if that's why they did it. The, the fact of the matter remains that David Blatt was one of the winningest coaches percentage-wise, certainly in the history of the NBA, although you could make the exact same argument about Mike Brown pre, you know, whatever ended up happening way back when. When was that now? Two, three years ago? It's insane to even think about it, honestly. It yeah, but I don't, I don't put that much stock into that. If you're, if you're in the Eastern Conference and you have LeBron James, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and depth, I mean, you should win most of your games. Right, but, I mean, David Blatt was, by most tests of, you know, first of all, of the eye and of stats, one of the winningest coaches out there right now. So is there so – here's, and here's the issue that I had, and we kind of discussed this a little bit. Regardless of who made the decision, firing David Blatt means that they're – you basically – you mean, we said it before when we were sort of, like, prepping for this. 
the the seat couldn't be hotter than it ever has been before. And yeah, well, that's you, true. That's where do you sure. go? Where do you go if if I mean, we'll we'll get to this conversation later. I don't know. I have this horrible like I I'm not I was never like a blat apologist or you know enthusiast or anything like that. But I don't see how anyone's going to be better than Blatt. They were perfect almost in the – I mean, not perfect in the sense of what Golden State's doing, but as good as just about you could imagine in the regular season. So I, I guess if, if LeBron James will play harder under someone else and actually listen to them, then yeah. But why would anyone ever believe that? Well, but that's the point. I mean, I, they didn't – what else were they going to do? I think it came to the realization that the team had tuned Blatt out. And it was causing... Well, had the know, team or had just LeBron? Well, like David said, is that a dis, is that really even a distinction anymore? Or is that just, he's the he's the guy and they're going to follow suit? If, if, I mean, let's put it this way. If, if, a, if David Blatt is comfortable getting in front of a microphone and saying, I drew up a play for LeBron to inbound the ball. He scratched it. We ran his play. He made the shot. I'm glad he scratched it. I, you know, I mean, he was, he was okay admitting that LeBron defied him. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's what he's okay admitting. So what's going on when, you know, when he isn't mic'd up or when there isn't a camera zoomed in that can read everyone's lips or whatever. Well, I mean, I think there's no question in anyone's mind that this decision was at least partially prompted by LeBron James. And it makes sense to a certain degree when you have the best player in the world or one of the best players in the world. You kind of have to do what they want to do. They're holding your franchise hostage. He won a lot of games in Miami, but I don't think that was necessarily because of or not because of Eric Spolster. I think that was because Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James made total sense together. And the team was well put together. But, yeah, but, but at some think, point, LeBron bought in because he played differently there than he's ever played in Cleveland. He was off the ball. So that's off true. The ball a lot getting more. in the post, like coming out break. But I mean, part of that you could, you know, contribute to the fact that they had Pat Riley, that he was playing with one of his best friends, and he doesn't have either of those things right now. Well, yeah, I think Nate Nate brought that up before that, like this crap kind of wouldn't fly with Pat Riley as GM or whatever the position he's at. Well, and according to Wads, that's why LeBron left Miami. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't uh, do what he wanted. So, um, I mean, yeah, think about that for a second, though, because that's telling. The fact that he, he part of the reason why he left Miami is because he couldn't control the team. So <laughs> here he's able well, to control the team. That's Wads' opinion. I, you know, yeah, but I, I think that's I, probably to a certain degree, at least, if not, you know, I guess what I'm accurate. trying to say is that doesn't, that doesn't open my eyes to anything. I feel like, Wojnarowski would say something like that no matter what. I've I've read his stuff for a decade, and he he is uh, not a LeBron fan. Let's put it that way. So okay, um, the fact that That's... he said it doesn't. Oh wow, really? I never. You know, I mean, I assume he would say something like that. So, but so I, I just want to get back to, um, you know, now that now that Blatt's gone. What do you guys want to see from from Coach Lou, or what do you want to see from the team going forward that never materialized under David Blatt? Let's start, let's oh my with God. You. Let's start with you, David. Uh, I want to see the 12 to 13 sets from the elbow that Lou has for Kevin Love. Right. <laughs> yeah. For the, for the second unit. And um, I think it would be – if. 
like he keeps talking about this faster pace. It'd be awesome if we could actually see that because we've all seen when the Cavs play fast, they're all really efficient and it looks really good, but they'll play fast for two plays and then they'll kind of just slow it down and just dribble, like dribble the air out of the ball and rely. But it's because they're out of shape, David. It's because they're out of shape. (laughs) That is true. Yeah. Like, I mean, bringing up the out of shape thing, it's almost as if like, Maybe David Griffin is planning it this way, but they're kind of giving all the Cavs have no, like there's nothing left to blame. They're just going to roll out like all their, all their excuses now. And then if it doesn't work at the end of the season, it's kind of like, all right, like we tried your way. Now it's our turn. Like we're going to do this. Well, I mean, I don't know. Cause is that really, I mean, that's a really fair point, but what is LeBron just going to be like, all right, I, I did it my way and it didn't work. You guys are right. Oh, no, there's more I, left to blame. I mean, the next <laughs> the next thing to blame is going to be Kevin Love. Yeah. Oh, yeah. After that will be Kyrie Irving. I, oh, my I, God. you got to think at some point LeBron's going to look back on just the past season and a half, and he has to watch his own play and kind of be like, what is going on? Because he came when he came from Miami, that like his last year, like two years in Miami, he was just like a basketball machine. Like he made no mistakes whatsoever. It was the most efficient, yeah. like use of movement to score ever, and just to do everything there. And, and he was of, pretty. He was very efficient when he last year in the finals. So it, no, he almost, was he was inefficient in the finals. He, he was I mean, not a terrible con- percentage. But considering he a, what he had available, is I guess what I should say. Well, I wouldn't use the word efficient to describe him last year, but yeah, in Miami he certainly was. So. Oh, well, he was very efficient. Yeah. Okay, so you want to see twelve to thirteen, you know, different types of players from the elbow. Um, you know, what else do you want to see, David, that you haven't seen so far? Uh, well, I mean, we just said it. I want to see Miami, LeBron. I don't okay. want to see the. I don't want to see LeBron like before he left for Miami where I'm like, well, this guy's go-to move is he's going to dribble really hard at the hoop and hope he gets fouled or score. Okay. Like, well, how about, how about you, Mallory? What do you, what do you um, want to see that you have not yet seen from this squad? The, the funny thing is, and we're going to get to it in a minute, but everything Ty Lue said, running the, you know, going up tempo, although honestly down tempo worked really well in the NBA finals. So is that really the way that you want to go? I actually think that the Cavs try to push the tempo too much. But then what they do is they push the ball up to the other side of the court, and then they slow down their ball movement and go into ISO mode. So just more off-ball movement from everyone on the team. You know, not guys just standing around, no one drifting out to, you know, basically essentially standing at the three-point line waiting there. Cuts to the basket, cuts around the basket, you know, inside, outside. I don't know. That's what I would want to see. A lot more pick and roll. Yeah. All of that, but that's the thing is, every coach is going to say that when they come and play with LeBron James. We want to see LeBron being more of a point forward. We want to see more off-ball movement. We want to run the offense through Kevin Love. Everyone's going to say that. Those are all the obvious answers. You know, like what what guy wouldn't come to the Cleveland Cavaliers and say every one of those phrases? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of happy talk, right? But, uh, some of the things that I'd like to see that I know David Griffin kind of alluded to in his press conference was they don't have an identity. And I I think that that factors into um, when we watch the Cavs, they look different from one night to the next. Um, You never really know what you're going to get. Part of that is because the, you know, as in to a man, they've struggled with consistency. And I think 
something that can help rectify that is, um, you know, some a, a basic motion offense with some pet plays that everyone understands. And, um, you know, like for example, when, when Delhi takes a pick and starts to probe into the middle, the big man instinctively knows he might try to lob me an alley-oop, right? It's instinctive. He doesn't stand there wondering, well, I have no idea what Delhi's going to try to do here. None whatsoever. It's very predictable. As Ben says, he, he runs the point like a downhill runner in football. Um, you know, Kyrie Irving does not do that. And, you know, we, we dream about pick and rolls between LeBron and Kevin Love or Kyrie and Kevin Love or LeBron and Kyrie because we think, man, those three guys are just triple threats. You know, well, maybe LeBron right. can't shoot anymore, but the other guys are definitely triple threats. And you rarely see that. You rarely see um, good two-man chemistry that leads to something other than sort of useless passing around the perimeter. I feel like, you know, the Cavs were six of 24 in that last game from three. And most of the threes just came off of short perimeter passes. I mean, it was almost like, well, you know, we're not really generating anything interesting. So I guess I'm kind of open, you know, I'll shoot this semi-contested three. And it's just, that's not a rhythm shot. So I'd like to see them create more three pointers by, swinging the ball cross court or, you know, forcing the defense to collapse and then kicking out from the inside. Cause I feel like those three pointers are always a be- in a better rhythm for your shooter, especially the inside outside ones. Cause usually your shoulders are already spotted up when you receive the pass. If right. It's co- if it's coming from the direction of the hoop in the first place. So I haven't seen a lot of that lately. And then, uh, yeah, I, I really, like you guys have both said off the ball. I mean, it just drives me batty when the Cavs play a two-man game and the other three guys don't move. I mean, defense <laughs> Which happens are, all the time. I mean, if LeBron can't hit an outside shot and defenses can go under screens, then you're really, you know, any kind of pick and roll action you do with LeBron is not forcing the defense into a, just a compromising position if the, the other three guys are going to stay still. And I think, again, this gets back to these guys are all just out there freelancing. There's no, um, there's no, I mean, I know I keep saying like a motion offense, but I mean, you, when you watch the Spurs, everyone seems to know how to fill in the right spaces. Okay. But I have a question for you, Tom. Sure. What are the chances that the Cavs are going to be able to successfully implement and run an offense in the next three months? I don't know. It doesn't seem promising. I think that's why we're all kind of running around like it, screaming. I mean, Blatt was supposed to run a motion offense. That's right, Blatt was supposed to be uh, an offensive genius, and it never happened. So what are the chances that Ty Lu, who people have said is basically our defensive coordinator, is going right. to – yeah, I, I don't – I would say not great, Mallory, not great. And I mean, you know, that's not to say that it's not possible, but like it's – you know, we talked about how last year the Cavs were so new together and they had this new coach and so they were trying to run a new system and they needed a full year under their belt in order to get it going. I mean, they're going to have three months. This is <laughs> we've wasted what's essentially the, the easy breezy part of the season, you know, yeah, for all well, intents and purposes. The Cavs have three very large problems, right? Um, 
No Kevin one is, Love, LeBron no, James, and yeah, Kyrie Irving. Exactly. No one is happy with the way Kevin Love is being utilized or the way he's playing. Um, LeBron can't hit an outside shot, and I just, I just really think that Kyrie Irving, his basketball intelligence is so inferior to his talents. Um, man, someone is gulping down. I hope that's a beer. It's water. Sorry. <laughs> I feel like you have a mic in your throat. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it was so loud right there. I think I just spilled some water on my mic. But anyway, continue. I, I don't feel like LeBron's approach individually has been that bad this year. I, I feel like he is going into the post more. Um, you know, he's sealing his man more. I have seen flashes, but, you know, there's just a lot to overcome. I, so, David, of those things I mentioned, which if the Cavs could only hit a switch to fix one of them, LeBron's outside shot, the way Kevin Love plays offense, or Kyrie Irving's approach to being a point guard, which switch would you flip to give this team the best chance to win it all? I guess probably Kyrie's approach to playing point guard because it's pretty, like, there's higher odds against none of those players, like, developing a two-man game at this point, which is insane. Like, they should, all those guys should be able to figure out a a way to do, like, give-and-go plays, like, really simple actions. How you mentioned before, like, it looks like they're playing pickup ball at the Y. Like, it doesn't even look like that. It looks like they're just all gunning. Like, there's no give-and-go between these guys. It's crazy to watch. Yeah, Kyrie looks to dribble himself into a comfortable position. And I instead mean, he, of he, running an offense with other people. And, and he will go anywhere. I mean, he will start off at the right wing, try to take his guy. It'll get cut off. He'll come back around. He'll go through the legs. He'll dribble across the paint. He'll start. I mean, he will go anywhere. I mean, he, he does not. Um, and the point in me saying that is unless he actually gets to the rack or creates a, you know, an open shot that he makes, the rest of the guys have no idea what to do. The other four guys have no idea where to go. If he's thinking about passing it, um, where to set up for an offensive rebound in the event that, you know, he doesn't make it. They just, I mean, they, I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, he's freelancing. He doesn't even know what he's going to do. It's all based on feel, um, you know, and it, and it can lead to some incredible displays of offensive talent, but it's just, I, I just don't trust it, you know, over a whole game. And the way he's, he's shooting poorly since he came back from injury is not helping matters either. So, all right. So David picks Kyrie Irving would, would morph into, you know, a real point guard or at the very least someone like Steph Curry who the Warriors always seem to know what he's going to do. He's he's shooting, or if he gets double teamed, they know where the pass is going to. He works so hard to get off the ball. Um, everything is so decisive with that guy. He doesn't he doesn't just freelance around. Um, everything is a There's... quick is a quick action, and the rest of the team knows how to use the the gravity that he has, and you know his ball handling abilities. They know where to be, you know, they know where to go. And, and I, I just, if you look, someone said something um, in, in our podcast and Kyrie Irving does seem like the closest player skill set wise to Stephen Curry. And yet 
I think one of the most underrated things about Curry is how much better he's made his team the last two years. And I, I'm just not seeing that with Kyrie. So I think I'm in, in Kyrie's defense, though, he's only been back for a little bit of the season and things have basically been a mess since he got back. So no, but I, I'm not I'm not talking I'm not you know, I'm not piling on about his poor shooting percentage. I'm saying just his approach, just There's the, no f- just the way he goes about playing when he's on the court, I feel like is detrimental to the team's ceiling, if that makes any sense, Mallory. I get what you're saying. There's, like, too much fluff to Kyrie's game. Mm Because you see flashes where he'll just, like, he gets the ball, LeBron will pass him the ball, he brings it up court, and he just blasts by his guy, and then he's able to throw the ball out, and the Cavs start some beautiful, like, passing. But then he just refuses to do that every time. And there's even times, too, when, like, LeBron will kind of be on the low block, and Kyrie tosses him the ball, and then jets, like, a couple feet and gets the ball back and just shoots off the like just off the catch and it looks perfect yeah it's like if he did that all the time like we would be comparing him to Steph and it wouldn't be ridiculous so how about you Mallory which lever would you pull well okay so first off I want to say this um how about the fact that Luke Walton you know for a moment there everyone kind of thought that maybe the Cavs would go after him for the head coach I just wanted to say that because I think (laughs) you know I mean Walton did an amazing job he did. If you talk about an offense that's based on motion. Yeah. Oh, and, and when he played for the Cavs, um, he was one of the best passing big men I ever saw. Uh, right. I mean, he couldn't defend, you know, a traffic cone at that point, but it was kind of fun to watch him and Sean Livingston and um, Wayne Ellington and those guys run around. Because Yeah, what did we call them? I can't remember. The, Her- the Herculoids. Herculoid, yeah. yeah. Oh, Nate's going to be really upset. You can't remember that. Uh, it's, been, but, it's been years now. No, just... Yeah, Luke Walton, is. I, I think he will get the Lakers job, and that's the job he wants. And um, I wish him the best because they've made some large tactical errors uh, over the last few years. But So, which lever would you pull, Mallory? Repeat the question again. I can't even remember where we started. Okay, so you, got, you, you, can, you can make Kevin Love... Um, fit in extremely well to the. Oh, offensive. Kevin Love, hundred percent, Kevin Love. Okay, so so Kyrie, Kyrie, Kyrie Irving's game will come back. He's a great outside shooter. He's still extremely young. He's what twenty three years old. This is a guy that needs to be on the court, and he'll get better as he's on the court. Kevin Love came into this season supposedly in shape. I think he's been you know poorly coached. He still isn't a part of this offense. I don't know how much is him. How much is uh, LeBron? How much is you know Blatt or or Lou or you know Griffin or uh, whoever? I don't know how much of it is is the system that he's in, but the truth of the matter is Kevin Love is still not playing at the level. I mean, he's a quiet player; he gets his stats, but he have we seen one game where we've been like, "Holy crap, Kevin Love! That is a megastar." I, I don't think we've seen one game like that. Maybe that. Uh, wasn't there like one Boston game last year in the playoffs that everyone was like, he's coming alive. That's why we have him on the team. Cause he hasn't played a big game when it counted. Well, I mean, he had 18 and 17 against the Clippers. Right. But he, he always gets the 18 and 17 or 18 and 12 or 17 and 11. Okay. I mean, well, those... I went to a game against the Brooklyn Nets and the Cavs were really struggling. Um, I went to the game with Nate. We were wearing our Cavs blog t-shirts, and Kevin Love 
caught NBA Jam fire from three. Oh, he hit like five threes. Okay, right? I remember. Yeah. I remember that game. Yeah, I it was mean, early, early in the season. He right? kind of single. Yeah, he kind. Well, it was around Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving weekend. He single handedly uh, brought the team back. So I think he's been a little better this year individually. Oh, for sure. But he's still not the guy that night in and night out is the, a superstar. And he's getting superstar money. He's getting superstar treatment in the sense that everyone expected him to be able to carry this team for large stretches. And there are never moments. I think I have more memories of J.R. Smith catching NBA Jam fire than I do <laughs> of Kevin Love catching NBA Jam fire. And J.R. Smith has one-tenth of the supposed talent as Kevin Love. Well, so who do you blame? So it sounds like you blame Kevin Love for this. Then. I don't know who I blame for it. I mean, you know, honestly, I have such a bad taste in my mouth about everything about this team right now. That's why you're that chugging think, all that water. I know. I've got, got a lot to say about this. No, really, though. I think that there there's just so many different elements that are all playing into the toxicity of this team. And, I mean, honestly, and this is a simple yes or no question for either of you. Can you ever remember a Cavs team being so good but feeling so toxic? Well, not – I mean, they've never had a team with this much talent. But right, but just the amount the year of before, The year before LeBron came, I expected that team to make the playoffs, and they were abysmal. Um, I mean, they were I mean, so bad. They didn't oh, have like Juan a, Wagner. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm talking two years ago. I'm talking Andrew Bynum. Oh, oh. Luol Deng. Uh, Luol yeah, Deng, okay. culture changer, that, that, comes that, in, and the true. Cavs' defense goes from – Bad to worse than the league, yeah. That's true. That's true. But I, I don't Hawes, ever remember it being American like Patriots. like this, where where we all feel like we could get so much, and yet we're going to get so. I mean, you know, you could say the same thing about the Milwaukee Bucks were supposed to be really good this year and fell apart a little bit, but you don't hear people complaining about well, the like toxicity the Rockets, of the team. The Rockets, I mean, right? And but I the think Rockets, they're in a lot worse shape than the Cavs are because they're in a much tougher conference right but that's also an aging conference whereas the east is actually going to be getting better no but i'm just saying the rockets have to get through either one or both of the spurs and the warriors and they have a much worse record than the Cavs right now and the Cavs. i I guess for this year alone that i will agree if your question is do i remember a Cavs team that had so much promise and yet feels like such a long shot to win the title no, because I've never the Cavs have never had a team I think with this much talent. Um, I just think know. that like there's something about this team that just feels like it's going to be inevitably a disappointment, and it's going to be a disappointment in a way that like makes it hard for us to like want. I mean, I don't know. I just I, this is not a fun NBA team to root for right now. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> after this past week, yeah, <laughs> definitely not. And even before, like, we all were kind of approaching it with, like, I don't want to say a sense of dread, because it wasn't really a sense of dread, but there were a lot of moments, even in the past, like, literally, I would say since since Christmas. Yeah, since Christmas. Since Christ- it's been a dark, it's been a dark 30 days. I, I agree with you. That, that and, said, and- I don't think our current state of mind, um, you know, I, I started to lose some faith, actually, watching the Rockets game. Um, I know the Cavs won big, but I just, I don't know. I, I, I was really paying attention in that second half, and they were driving me crazy with the way they were playing. And um, I just felt like, man, this is just not an elite team. They're just not on the level of the Spurs or the Warriors if they're going to continue to do just mind-numbingly stupid things. That, that game didn't actually come back to bite them. 
Um, we all know what happened the next game against the Warriors where, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have mattered how they would have played with how well the Warriors played, but they still looked really awful. So I don't think, I mean, I know you're saying, I guess I just disagree with you a little, Mallory, that the whole season has been underneath a cloud of despair. I feel like this past week, I think we're at, this we're past at like DEFCON, week, we're at like DEFCON one right now. <laughs> but I where, think this past week reveals that this season was, we were, we all put on a happy face. That, that Portland game shocked me. Really, it did. They got blown out. They should have been playing with anger and they got blown out. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a really that, stunning. <laughs> Right, that was it, it. Was it was stunning because well, I mean, Portland's you know, not good, and they were missing right. Lillard. <laughs> yeah, and they were missing Lillard, and it was just after they had lost on national television, and it just there was something about that that the moment that game ended, I was like, "This is not the team that we thought it was." And I think that they've proven that the last few weeks, they can win the you know against the Brooklyn Nets, and even that game wasn't like you know sewn up and done until you know four minutes left in the game. There has never been a moment where they've looked even close to as elite as the Spurs and the Warriors. And honestly, I would say that sometimes the Clippers look more elite than the Cavs. Well, the Cavs just blew the doors off the Clippers. Like a right, days but they ago. were missing Blake Griffin. Yeah, that's, but, that's true. But they had won like nine of ten games without him. Again, though, they're missing one of the you know top fifteen players in the NBA. Oh, okay. But all right, they they beat. The Thunder, when the Thunder were totally healthy. True, and I agree with that. But they also just lost to a really good Chicago team. So, I mean, I don't, my point is, it never looks. The Cavs have never passed the eye test to me. And, and you know, whatever, you can say what you want about advanced stats, but they haven't, they've still never passed the eye test this season. They haven't won against the Spurs or the Warriors at home or on the road. And they, it hasn't even been close in most of those games. I don't know. That's... You got a you got a counter argument to Mallory's, I'm a Debbie uh, Downer today. Yeah, you really are. I I don't think there's a counter argument because we lose to the Spurs and the Warriors because they're system teams. Like they have a system and they execute it every single time. The only thing I disagree with is I think we're on the we're the same exact level as the Clippers and the Thunder. Like even if we had a system, I don't trust that we could execute it when it wasn't working. <laughs> like we we panic, and yeah. that's that's like the difference. That, I the, see that all the time. They the first, just, yeah, they lose the first, trust in it, and they revert back to ice um, Yeah, and the problem with that is that um, I I honestly think they can get pretty far with the style they played, like in the finals. I think they could run right. the table and in I'm the East with agreeing that. Agreeing with you, but the problem is you really can't play Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in that style. That like is that a slow down It's pace. a slow, yeah. grinded out. We're going to get every rebound. Our defensive switching is going to be locked tight. I mean, you want Delhi, you want Shumpert um, in the back. You, you don't want, I'm just, you just don't want Kyrie you, Irving to play that, I, that grinded out style. He's just. Love he's would not, make sense in that style. It, no, he would not. No. I, I mean, the, the Spurs were trying to put Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love in every single pick and roll with Tony Parker. Oh, I mean, they yeah, just, that's just true. like clockwork. So, I mean, they, they, they need an identity. And they, I mean, right now it sounds like what they want to do is pick up the pace, be a more offensive-minded team. And that might that makes sense if you need to get, um, you know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love involved. But 
like David said, they, they just lose LeBron specifically loses trust in other people initiating the offense and reverts to throw me the ball. Let me try to get something done. And, and when that happens, Kyrie and Kevin Love are just way less valuable in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, it remains to be seen what, what they can try to pull off here with, with Ty Lue over the next couple months. What they should do is just, if, if they can't figure out an offense, let LeBron run that kind of final style thing where it slows down and he's just an entire offense, and then let Kevin Love run an entirely different second five-man unit. And just orchestrate. <laughs> then just sit Kyrie. <laughs> just kidding. No, no, Kevin Love. Just let him orchestrate everything. Because, like, it, how people uh, – Kevin Love's numbers drop so much because when he was in Minnesota, like, every single set was designed to be run through him. Right. Like, he touched the ball every time. He right. had, like, a hockey assist or he was scoring. And it's like, we can't – like, I'm guilty of this myself. Like, I'll get mad that Kevin Love isn't putting up the numbers he did in Minnesota. But he's not getting the same chance to. Right. He's not being used the same. He's not. We can't treat him the same. I mean, I bet if we like, if you prorate his numbers, he's probably putting up pretty similar numbers well, to what he would in Minnesota if he did the same thing. And what I noticed in the Bulls game was that he had a little stretch. Um, maybe it was in the second quarter where he scored on three straight possessions, and one was a patented Kevin Love backed his man down, turned and, and faded away. You know, a la Dirk. And he drained it from about 17 feet. And you thought, like, wow, that, that is a shot few people yeah. can make. Um, and then, you know, another one was something different. I don't know if he sealed his man in the post and caught a pass and, and flipped it in. And, um, you know, maybe the third one was a jumper. But on the fourth possession, um, he short-armed a floater in the lane and it clanked off the rim. And that was, I mean, that was it. Like the Cavs didn't go to him anymore. And I don't, I never know how much to blame um, the guards or LeBron for not getting him the ball versus Kevin Love for not fighting hard enough position, hard enough for position or calling demonstratively for the ball. You know, I, I think it's a little bit of both, but um, it was working. For sure. It was working. And then everyone just kind of abandoned it. So, um, all right, well, let's move on. Um, I want to get to, what yeah. you guys make of some of these quotes coming from Ty Lu? Now, <laughs> admittedly, I don't think any of us have actually watched the press conferences live. I, I, in fact, I haven't even heard most of them. I've, I've I've heard a few, the audio for a few. I've read some of the quotes, but um, the first one is the one that caught people off guard when he was asked, "What are you going to do differently?" And this would have been his chance to say, uh, you know, we're going to we're going to try this. We're going to try that. And what he said was, well, we're not going to do much differently from from David Blatt. We're just it's going to be better, which, you know, I've heard that that wasn't a backhanded remark. It just came out awkwardly. I, I Again, I didn't see the actual video, so I'll withhold judgment. But, you know, it, that's a that's a tough that's a tough quote to spin. It does seem kind of uh, mean spirited almost. So, and then, and then the other one was he comes right out and basically blamed the players, which I actually enjoyed that part. He blamed the players and said, "I had to go to those funky lineups because LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love were too winded and were asking to come out of the game." 
So in my recap, I kind of implicitly blamed Ty Lu for Ty Lu's heat check lineup, which included none of those guys. But I guess in the presser last night, he came right out and said, that was never my intention. But those guys got tired, so I had to substitute for them. Um, so he, he put the so does that mean you know they're that out of shape? I don't, I don't understand how. Uh, well, I don't know. Keep well, he was asked there. that question as a follow up, and he kind of got defensive. He says it's not it's not that they're that out of shape; they're just not in shape to run up <laughs> run up and down the court. Doesn't they're that like, out of shape? They're just that out of shape. Yeah, right. <laughs> Almost like they're operating at eighty five percent efficiency, but. In order for this uh, Death Star to be completed, you know, we, it, it sounded like that kind of thing. <laughs> I like the Star Wars reference. Yeah, so I guess my question is, I get the sense that this guy's over his head and that, boy, there's going to be a lot of cringeworthy, um, you know, post-game comments going forward. Uh, you know, what have you, what have you guys thought about? I think that's uh, a perfect way to put it. Honestly, one of the things about Blatt was that he was – I mean, I, I felt pretty decent in, in post-game interviews and seemed to have a good feel for the NBA. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. What do you think, David? Mm, it, that was kind of standoffish, but I enjoyed it. What? I found him to be much more, like, talkative than pretty much any coach I can remember in a long time. He talked, but he didn't say much. I guess that's fair. Like, it... Kind of like how Pop will say something, but he's essentially not saying anything at all. You talking about Blatt? Yeah. yeah. Blatt, oh, I, Blatt. I thought Blatt actually was more authentic than most uh, most coaches in post game. Uh, maybe maybe I, not. I, I just my sense I, was I he was a you. little more of a straight shooter than most people. But I, I see what you're saying. You, you can you can say things without really saying things. I guess. Like uh, he. Yeah, I mean, there was obviously some tension going on for a while between him and LeBron, and the fact that like no none of the stars were ever called out by Blatt publicly when they definitely could have been. That's what I mean. Like he he didn't ever call the team out like that. Yeah, I, I sort someone brought this up. I think Nate brought it up. No one asked David Griffin the question. Basically, hey Griff, when you recognize that something wasn't right in the locker room. There wasn't a connectedness or whatever you called it. Did you approach David Blatt with that, you know, um, critique uh, to try to motivate him to, to change that culture? No one asked that question. So, you know, if not, I think going back in time, it would have been pretty interesting to have Griff basically go to David Blatt and say, hey, look, man, we're going to can you in a couple of weeks if this doesn't turn around. Uh, these players need to be, start being held accountable. Um, you but we don't know what really happened. I, I know, but I'm just saying it's like Blatt just went out like a fart in the wind. Like we didn't hear anything from him. Um, he just, there was like a little cliched prepared statement about how thankful he was for everyone. And he's gone. I mean, he might be back in Israel. We might never see him again. And it's like, man, we, this guy was known as such an ass kicker. Uh, over in in Europe and in Russia and in Israel, and it's like we never saw that. I mean, this guy just kissed LeBron's ass from like day one. I really would have enjoyed, I think, a month of hard ass LeBron or hard ass Blatt, like just like just getting on his guys after games. We never got to see that. Um, so, and, and now given all this information about how they were just tuned him out and they didn't respect him and all that. It would have been really interesting, in my opinion, if, you know, his approach 
at the end would have been a little more YOLO, you know, instead of, <laughs> instead of, instead of what actually happened. But we don't know if he was a little more YOLO and they just really were too far gone. Well, he wasn't publicly is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, but publicly I mean, he would have humiliated the team. Well, I'm even, getting fired soon. Fuck this. You know, even as, me, as being game coaching, he wasn't like YOLO. It's like that Warriors game. There are so many instances where he should have called timeout and just benched the stars. Yeah. Like, and I apologize for that, Tom. And oh, don't worry. I'll come up with a cool little sound to edit that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, like, what did you expect him to do that? <laughs> no, I just would have enjoyed it. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, reality. I'm sure <laughs> he sits LeBron for the entire fourth quarter when LeBron shoots like misses four th- free throws. Like he's not going to do that. That never would happen. Yeah, I just I feel like this team needs to submit to an uh, some authority figure. If there only, is none, if only because it's hard. It's not necessarily a, a character flaw. It's just it's hard to hold yourself accountable in a profession that you feel like you're the best person in the world at that job, if that makes sense. So shouldn't the shockers, like shocker of all shockers, be that J.R. Smith seems to be the only guy buying into everything? I don't know that he's buying in as much as he's just playing hard. I mean, like when I watched the team yesterday, I didn't feel like they were – playing without any sense of energy they were just terrible i mean i thought they were i thought they were very um erratic i thought it was very unintelligent it was unfocused i mean they couldn't hit any free throws but i didn't get the sense watching them that they were out there dogging it i mean i i really didn't i got the sense that like wow like what is going on these guys are playing with their heads up their butt but i didn't feel like they weren't hustling and and jr over the past month while everyone else has been terrible um, has looked pretty good. I mean, he's shooting well. He's diving on the floor last night for loose balls, which I'd like to point this out for all our listeners. Um, last night, J.R. Smith dove for a loose ball, and as he caught it, rolled. And he rolled into uh, someone's legs. I don't know if it was Todd Gibson or who it was. It was Brooks. Aaron Brooks, okay. And both announcers went out of their way to you know credit him with a great hustle yeah, play and my thought did, I was hey you know what that was literally exactly what Delavadova did against Kyle Korver only uh, unfortunately for Korver um you know he wound up with an injury but it's like it, it, here's another one I I just can't stand that I can't stand when 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 people have um you know a narrative they want to push and Reggie freaking Miller you know, basically deciding that Delhi's a dirty player, um, even though a lot of former players think that's absolutely patentedly absurd, and that Delhi just plays hard and guys don't like it, and uh, you know that just that just blows my mind because it's like that's not a dirty play, that's a hustle play. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to throw that in there. So uh, I can't even, I, don't know I can't even refocus. I'm so angry that everyone thinks Dirty's a Delhi player. Delhi's a dirty. Not, not, just a jolly, not just a jelly, not just a dirty player, the dirtiest player. Yeah, the dirtiest player in the NBA. So, but yeah, uh-huh. I think J.R. Smith, I mean, he's been stroking the ball. I mean, his stroke looks pure. Um, and he's added some, some things. So if you chase him off the line now, he's got this floater and he's been driving to the hoop and um, spinning in some layups lately. He's been getting to the free throw line a little bit. So he's been, he had a really bad start to the season, but man, this past month, 
He's been on. He's I know I wanted to bring only, him in because been, that's the one thing that I, I've noticed. He's been about the only guy that, um, you know, looks good. But, all right, guys, I wanted to do a 15-minute podcast, and I think we've gone almost an hour. So Wait, 15 minutes? One five? <laughs> well, I just, you know, we've had a bunch of podcasts, and I have another radio segment that I can post. So I feel like we're just – we're uh, Well, there's a lot to talk about yeah. right now. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about. I mean, but. and and you know, like if you want to give parting words, I'll do this for a second. I really think that this team is in trouble. I don't want to be someone that you know is like the screamer of bad news. And usually, I'm one of the more positive people. I just something about the way that everything has gone down the last few weeks has screened trouble to me. Like it just seems like this team is not cohesive. They don't really care about winning. I think LeBron. You know, all, all the duplicity that supposedly does exist there, and I don't want to speak to whether or not it does or doesn't, but the fact that that's even a topic of conversation is horrifying. You know, Kobe was similar to that, but when push came to shove, he integrated Pau Gasol really well. He integrated uh, Andrew Bynum really well, and he had one of the historically great coaches coaching him. You know, the Cavs have none of that. And now they have a rookie head coach, who is essentially a rookie. I don't care how much, you know, he was supposedly, you know, holding the reins a year ago or something like that. I just don't, I don't know. So my final thoughts on all of this is uh, tentatively terrified. Yeah. Okay. How about you, David? I mean, what's, uh, what's your uh, psyche feel like right now? Well, I want to see what a LeBron coach team looks like. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. We're going to find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We are. I, it's such a, I don't know, lose in a terrible position because if the team does well, it's because right. LeBron bought in. If the team does bad, it's because Lou couldn't get LeBron to buy in. Well, no, and I think if, if they do well, Lou will get the credit, but I think the chances of this team doing better, like, so, and, and actually, I, I was talking about this before. This is essentially, I mean, it's a win situation, but if, only if Lou wins the NBA championship. If he doesn't win the NBA championship, is he any better than David Blatt? No, I mean, clearly the expectations are title or bust. I mean, they always were, but now it's <laughs> one step I, further. I mean, Blatt I, wouldn't have been fired if those weren't the expectations because clearly he could, he's he would have most likely taken a team at least as far as he took them last year. Right. So that is not why he was fired. He was fired because um, the organization did not believe that he could get them to beat the Warriors or the Spurs. I don't. I don't believe that either, to be honest with you. Which is why I don't necessarily disagree with the move. I just don't. There's just so much that has to happen between now and June um, for this team to be to raise their ceiling to that level, in my opinion. Well, so positive take we have until June to figure it out, and mm-hmm. I. Re- I don't think the Cavs have like. We're not going to be able to out offense the Warriors or Spurs. Like I don't think that's possible. But they haven't really experimented with their defense at all against the Warriors. Like if we're playing the Warriors, why don't they try to run like a two-three zone or something like that, or do like a box one, like throw Iman on Trumper and then just have him follow him around and everything else just zone up on. Like there's so many different things they can still try against. Those Mallory, teams. are you playing Frogger? <laughs> like, what are you I'm totally playing video games right now. <laughs> well, dude, mute yourself. David had a really hot take right there. I want to hear it. Sorry about that. 
All right, so you want to talk about a zone, David, or something? Just yeah. something to give a different look to the. Well, okay. So if you're playing the Warriors, why don't why don't teams experiment with like a box one defense? Like just have like basically split the court into a box and then have Iman Trumper chase Stephen Curry around the whole time. Or and this is this is what baffles me. Why has no team just tried denying Curry the pick and roll and forcing him away from the center? Just two guys and they stay attached to the play. Like don't because everyone else on the team can pass. That's the problem. Yeah, but if you just stay honest and don't have help defenders involved, just two guys cover the pick and roll. That stresses out Curry so much. Like all you have to do is deny the pick and force him off the three line, and all those threes become twos. Well, I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, I, I well, think, he can, he can no. shoot. He has unlimited range. Well, let me just follow up with what he said. So, uh, to me, the problem that the Cavs had, at least I, I, you know, I paid close attention the first quarter. After that, it was such a bloodbath. There wasn't much really to analyze, other than that the Cavs were not even in that same league as the Warriors. But in the first quarter, when I was watching it, um, you know. It was uh, it was Kyrie or Delhi and Mozgov very often in the pick and roll situation uh, when Andrew Bogut was there. Now clearly Bogut isn't gonna pop for three, so you know that is a a perfect example of where Mike Brown's old hedge and retreat scheme might have right. been a little bit more useful than what the Cavs did, which was just switch. So I mean, switching Mozgov onto Curry is almost a joke, right? Um, but that's why Tristan exists on this team. Right, but Tristan wasn't in at those occasions. So what I'm saying is, in those situations where the the guy setting the pick, if it's if it's Bogut or Azili, guys that aren't Draymond Green and don't have a three-point shot, I think the big should flare out to try to just slow down um, any ball penetration while, whether it's Kyrie or Deli or Iman, is, is fighting through the screen to close out. Right, so, but if that center isn't fast enough, then Curry's going to hit a shot. Right, but I'm saying they never even tried that. I guess. So, I don't, it's so much easier said than done because of how fast Curry is. They didn't even try to play the Draymond, like Steph uh, pick and rolls, honestly. It was always just trying to trap and have help, like someone help over and live with whatever happened. No, I do think you, you, you want to... Um, you, you want to have two guys on him during those pick and rolls. And so what you're, you're bending is you're allowing the guy that set the pick basically free reign. And obviously the Warriors exploit that to perfection when Draymond Green is setting the pick. So where you can make, where the Cavs and every other team in the league can make improvements is um, forcing the ball out of Curry's hands without being totally foobarred with that kind of four on three play the rest of the way. And so I think one of the ways you do that is you don't totally commit your big to switch on the Curry. You try to just like the Cavs used to do this all the time with Z. He would just run out, stick his long arm out, and then he would just start sprinting back towards his defender. That was usually rolling to the hoop because by that point, the guy guarding the ball handler was able to fight through the screen and was able to get back on Curry. Um, I didn't see the Cavs try that at all. Uh, another thing they can do is just all out trap him, um, like so, trap him so hard that it, it's almost like they're going for a steal just to tra- create a little chaos. 
instead of kind of a, um, you know, a half-hearted attempt, which the Warriors just exploit to perfection. And then, you know, the third thing, they can work harder to deny him the ball, which that's a tall order because Curry works so hard off the ball to get it. And, and ultimately, the results can all be improved if the weak side and the help rotations are more crisp. You know, they just, they just aren't that good on the Cavs right now, in my opinion. So as soon as Draymond Green would get that ball and start attacking, I mean, it was, he could smell blood and the Cavs just did not have a sense of, you know, who do we need to keep a, a body on? Who do we need to keep an eye on? And it they was gotta, just, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. They got to rotate the spots instead of trying to get to a guy. Like it, whoever's trapping just has to sprint out to a corner and you just, cause it's a 50, 50, the Warriors are going to beat you if they have to outthink you. Yeah. Well, they got a lot of problems, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let's try to end this on a positive note. Um, you know, Mallory, tell me something good about the Cavs or something good happening in your life other than you're snowed in. And yeah, no, I'm not actually snowed in. Thankfully, um, no, honestly. So, I mean, I know I was a Debbie Downer before. The good news is that if they actually do play selfless, which is possible they're going to be a lot better off because this team still is one of the two or three most talented teams in the NBA. So very good. How about you, David? Give me something, give me something good. Oh, we're going to make the playoffs this year. (laughs) (laughs) Hey guys, at least we're not Detroit. We're not Detroit. Well, no, I mean, we're making the playoffs. Like I remember this time, I think probably, well, two years ago now, I was seriously just excited that we could be the AC. So I'm I'm still happy, and the Cavs can always improve. Yeah, like it's not a lost cause, and we have the whole entire playoffs for them yeah. to develop and, and guys, out something. We still have LeBron James. All right, here's <laughs> here's mine. I think um, people are relatively healthy. Uh, Mozgov has looked better to me lately. He's uh he's a little more aggressive. Um, he, you know he's he's going to the rack strong looking to finish alley-oops and dunk on people. Even if the results aren't quite back to what he was doing last season, he's just starting to look a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more confident. So if he can start playing well, that would really help the Cavs. Um, I think uh, J.R. Smith has been you know, much better lately than I've expected all season. So hopefully that continues. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the good news is, it really doesn't matter for the Cavs what they do until the playoffs anyway. So it is possible that these guys after last season sort of know that in the back of their mind. Like, do you know how if you're playing anything against someone that you know you're better than them, you play, you know, they say you play down to your competition. Yeah. You know, hey, I can just kind of turn it on when I need to. Maybe they're treating this whole season almost as like a microcosm of that. Yeah, but that's that's not good. It's not good, and I don't really even believe it, because if you're not going to get up for the Warriors, then, I mean, what are you going to get up for? So I don't really believe it, but it's possible. And it's possible that, you know, whatever, April 16th or 20th or whatever that day is when, you know, it becomes playoff basketball and everyone's waving towels and, um, you know, who knows? Maybe at that point they'll just be a different team with a different mindset. But even if you're right, and it's possible that pigs will fly. It is. But even (laughs) if they do, 
I think between now and then they need to develop much better on court chemistry. So I'll be looking forward to that. Um, wins and losses at this point are going to matter less to me than uh, all those things we mentioned before. Is you know are they flipping? Are they pulling those levers? Is Kevin Love getting the ball in better spots? Is Kyrie Irving's approach to offense um, you know, cohesive with the other guys on the court? And is LeBron you know willing to trust a system where there's more movement and he's off the ball more? So. Um, it's interesting, at least, right? Like, I mean, as much as a lot, this has been a punch in the gut this past week, um, you know, for a while there, we were all just kind of like, oh, ho-hum, the regular season, like, call us when April gets here. And now our, you know, our hair's on fire and we're freaking out, so. And there's some big trades coming, apparently, so. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. That would, that would really turn this season upside down, so. Um, Guys, thanks for joining me tonight. I'm glad we've got the Sunday night podcast to become a regular thing. Um, I think it's it, it's just a it's it's good to get together uh, once a week to just talk about you know the previous week and 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 where we see this team going and the sport so, we love and the team that we love. Exactly. So with that, go Cavs. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. All right, guys. I appreciate that. Yeah, nice long podcast. I know, I know. I always right. Nate always makes fun of me because I'm like, yeah, let's just we'll snack this out in a half hour. Oh sure. Yeah, it never it never ever happens that way. Later. Yeah, my wife gives me a hard time about it too. Uh, but you guys stay up all night anyway, so yeah. Well, that was that was fun, and that was some really good in, insight from both of you guys. So I'm glad we got you on because I, I'm gonna piss off Cole so much. <laughs> I like I'm I'm drinking the haterade right now. Yeah. We got we got to figure out a way to bring Coles on the podcast. We do. And still the my favorite moment in Cavs of blog history was that podcast we did. It was me and you Mallory and Coles started listening to it and he was just completely losing his mind and he was actually he was actually live like commenting while he yeah. was listening. So like with every <laughs> sentence you would say that he would didn't agree with he would just yeah. freak out hey you know, all, all i have to say is i was totally right about uh what's his name fire gm no well oh, yeah Chris Grant? yeah i was right i was right yeah. i feel good about that <laughs> <laughs> i was really right about waiters oh man waiters he had a rough oh, night man, tonight waiters. he what uh, yeah maybe we should try to get coles on a podcast but i mean what would he say other than Oh, LeBron. I just want to hear his voice. Lebs, yeah, I, I really want to hear his voice. Leb's going to lead this team to the promised land, and, you know, Delhi sucks, and, you know, what, whatever else he would say. And now for the outtakes. Actually, this isn't an outtake. I spent about 20 minutes searching through the sound file for where Mallory, unfortunately, um, drops the F bomb, and it's 2 a.m. I got to go to bed. Um, but, while searching for it, I was playing it back at double speed to try to find it more quickly. And when Mallory starts ranting about Kevin Love, listening to that at two times speed was awesome. So here's a little treat for everyone out there. Um, this is that that little little mini rant you heard from Mallory um, in, a, in a chipmunk voice. Enjoy. For sure, but he's still not the guy that night in and night out is a superstar. And he's getting superstar money. He's getting superstar treatment in the sense that everyone expected him to be able to carry this team for large stretches. And there are never moments. I think I have more memories of J.R. Smith catching NBA Jam Fire than I do of Kevin Love catching NBA Jam Fire. And 
so who do you blame? So some of you blame Kevin Love for this. Right? I don't know who I blame for it. I mean, you know, honestly, I have such a bad taste in my mouth about everything about this team right now. That's why you're chugging all that water. I know, but that's what I have to say about this. No, really, though. I think that there, there's just so many different elements that are all playing into the, the toxicity of this team. And, I mean, honestly, and this is a simple yes or no question for either of you. Can you ever remember a Cavs team being so good but feeling so toxic? Well, not, I mean, they've never had a team with this much talent. But, right, but just the, the, year before, the year before LeBron came, I expected that team to make the playoffs, and they were abysmal. Um, I mean, they're I mean, so bad. They're like like yeah, no, 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 no. No, I'm talking two years ago. I'm talking Andrew Bynum. Oh, Luol Deng. Luol Deng, culture changer. Comes in and the Cavs defense goes from bad to worse in the league. Yeah. That's true, that's true. That's true, that's true. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs Podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.